All right, we got Amanda Kramer here in Conversations, number 53, and I am so excited to have you on. And I know when you and I talked just a couple weeks ago, you were like, wait, what? You want me on a podcast and I want to talk about this, you know, the stuff I'm doing? And I'm like, yes, because you're always so humble and you are always so good at putting everyone else out in front of you. And so I want to have you on and talk about what you're doing in business and in the company that you're doing it for, because it's a company that I find vastly profound in what it's doing in the world. And it's just like a company that no one's heard about, right? Like that's what's at least I have found in my business relationships, because I talk about it a lot, because I I mean, maybe not your ears are ringing, but Gartner's ears are ringing because I talk about it a lot and no one's heard of it. And so I wanted to have you on to talk about how you got to where you were, because that's always a cool thing to talk about, but just talking about what you're doing in the business world. So I'm glad that you said yes and came on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So for everyone that doesn't know you, like tell tell them your story. Like how did, you know, who were you? Where are you from? You saw this vision, I think, to get to something like this probably far before it happened, right? And so will you kind of tell this story of how you got to be this, you know, badass businesswoman that you are now? Well, those are big shoes to fill. Um, but yeah, I've always had a vision of where I wanted to be. And it always started with, I wanted an opportunity to serve because I believe we're all here to serve. And how could I do that leveraging all my talents? And part of that journey, um, for those who are interested, also involved road mapping where I wanted to be in 10 years. So having a 10-year plan, having a five-year plan, having a three-year plan, and working my way backwards. And that started from the very beginning of what kind of experience am I getting? Maybe it's not my dream job, but what can I take mm. and what can I bring to my next opportunity and build off of that continuously? And that was a huge help because, man, you don't always get your dream job right out of the gate. You know, nobody ever hands you that thing. But now being in my dream job, helping a giant, you know, ripple of people in a really positive way in organizations, I can honestly say I'm thankful for all of the opportunities that weren't my dream, but taught me a ton of core skills to get me to where I am today. So let's go back 10 years, you know, 2013, maybe it was a little more, maybe a little less. What were some of those core skills? What were some of those core stepping stones or landmarks is what I like to call them that like mapped out to get to where you are in this dream job now that you just love so much? Sure. So for me, um, it comes down to a couple different components. First and foremost, you have to be a lifelong learner. Doesn't mean you have to love going to formal education. Doesn't mean you have to go to the library every week and have a stack of books but you do have to pour into yourself. Mm. So find what that passion is versus where, what you're good at and start sharpening. There's you know, common knowledge that your leadership skills can be developed, but there's going to be core skills that you as a special person are going to be able to hone in a very unique way. Leverage those. So be a lifelong learner. Keep kind of your mindset open. Mm. Another piece of that is when you don't have that dream experience or maybe, you know, you're, something happens at work, 
and you have to pick yourself up from your bootstraps. I have kept a mental running log of all of the things that I promise myself when I get to be an executive, I will never do to another human. Mm. And it's a running list in the back of my mind because I've sat in too many boardrooms and had to protect people on my team when it was more of a leadership opportunity to mm-hmm. sharpen. Yeah. And then the next piece is really think about how you can help the people around you in an informal way. It doesn't always have to be work-related, but find something, a charity, some way to reach out in your community and give back just selflessly because that's going to sharpen you in a totally different way. Mm -hmm. So really the big three are being a lifelong learner, learning from your current organization wherever you are, and embracing those moments that might hurt so that you can learn from them and take back knowledge and then finding a way to do good in your community because it's going to hone you into a different kind of leader. Right. What are in your experience and you talk to so many executives and business owners like and just from your path over this 10 years, what are some of the categories or buckets that you find people are in their best when it comes to learning? Like some of its formal education, some of its seminars, like what, what are the areas that you see most people learning from or be, being a lifelong learner? Um, depends on the person, but I think there's people that absolutely are visual learners do better when they're reading. Some have to be experiential. They have to do something mm-hmm. in order for it to really hit home. The key there is figure out what you are and how you can learn best. Make sure you communicate that with your leaders. Mm -hmm. Say, hey, I really want to learn this. This is the best way that I can absorb the information. And leaders, I've yet to see any leader who doesn't say, okay, cool, and adjust their leadership style to accommodate what that looks like. Do you think people have a harder time at either A, knowing how they learn best or B, communicating how they learn best to leaders to actually get what they need to be a lifelong learner? Have you seen situations of that? Absolutely. It's one of those things that it's not a common conversation to have. Mm -hmm. You might be lucky if you have a really good leader who has a one-on-one with you every week. That's great. But it's very probably not in mainstream of, hey, by the way, boss. I'm a visual learner, or I need you to show me and to have you walk me through it once, and then I've got it. Mm -hmm. That's a level of maturity that takes time. But as you learn yourself as being a lifelong learner, it's something you need to be able to communicate. Okay. So figure out how you learn and communicate that to people around you. Now, can you learn from people that are not your boss or your direct leader? Absolutely. I have lost track of how many, I call them informal mentors, Yeah, I have had. It can be your next door neighbor. Mm-hmm. It can be the guy that picks up you know, your trash once a week. You can learn from anybody. You can learn what not to do. You can also learn what you want to do maybe better. Maybe that next door neighbor who selflessly takes the garbage can to the next door neighbor who might be have a you know a disability of some kind, and they don't do it because somebody asked them. They're just doing it because it's a good thing to do. 
you can learn from go to the grocery store. Do you put your shopping cart back in the cart area or do you just leave it? There's, you can learn from anybody. When you are learning, you know, do you just, are you able to just take all these things in through vision and you categorize them and apply them or are you organized within the way? Do you keep a journal? Do you, do you unpack those in meditation? Like how does, how does that work? Right. Cause like that's a lot to take in for mm-hmm. someone new and how do you keep that organized and then apply? Because it, it's, and I love learning and I agree with that statement so much, but it, if you just take it in and don't use it though, like what good is it? Right. So like, how are you processing through what you're taking in and applying those things to, to actually get the benefits from what you learned? Sure. So my advice for somebody who wants to stretch that muscle and to develop is pick a time. If you're a morning person, pick it a time in the morning, night owl, same. And it doesn't have to be four hours. Don't don't kill yourself. This mm-hmm. is not a sprint. You, this, your life is a marathon. And book time with yourself. If you can't respect the time with yourself, that's a whole different conversation we can have later. Mm-hmm. But find something that you're interested in learning. It can be, I want to be better at communication. I want to talk about conflict resolution and, and maybe negotiation. I want to have more executive presence and be confident in front of a board. Whatever that is, go listen to something. If you're a listener, read whatever it is and give yourself some grace to absorb it. I always like to have a notepad and take notes, but don't leave that notepad just sitting there. Your homework to yourself should be, how can I leverage this at some point during my week? It could be at a soccer game when you're, you know, teaching little kids how to play soccer. It could be at your job. It could be anywhere. But how are you going to take that one thing you took away from your reading or your listening, whatever it was, and incorporate it into your week? Because I tell you what, those stack over time. And pretty soon, you won't have to think about it anymore. It will just be part of who you are. Yeah, that the intent of that time, night owl, morning, soccer game, and then the discipline to be consistent. And like you're talking about not doing a crazy amount of time, even 20 or 30 minutes, that profoundly creates impact over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. For sure. I love that. So when it came to the second phrase or the second type of learning, like learning through osmosis, through the organizations that you're in, learning from those and taking those, Do you find in your lifetime, right, because you've taken several steps to get to where you are right now, was it a little bit of learning of like, oh, I loved how that was done and I want to do that? Or was it more of like, oh, I don't love how that was done. I'm going to keep mental note of that to never do that to my team later. Like, was it a little 50-50? What was yours? Because I know what my experience was and I don't know if mine was unique or not, but I'm curious on yours. Sure. So for me, it is absolutely a combination of all those being able to look across not just the organization I serve, but across different businesses and be inspired by, oh, this is a unique leader doing something interesting. I'm going to take note of that. Or, oh man, somebody just blew up media for whatever reason, saying something maybe they shouldn't have. I'm also going to take note of that on how it could have maybe gone down differently. (laughs) You learn from your environment, but absolutely those firsthand experiences, typically at your work, are the ones that 
probably have that emotional trigger that are, you're going to hold on to longer. So take all of that in and turn it into something positive. Right. And what I think is important is I think a lot of people can get in bad management situations because we know there's plenty of bad leaders, there's plenty of bad managers, and they don't take or see the forest for the trees that they can learn a lot from that. Because that's a major one of mine is I worked for an organization for a really long time. And I just know over that nine years, I just stacked up a massive list of things. If I ever got into this position or if I ever got into it, this is all the ways not to do it. Not necessarily I knew exactly how I wanted to do it. I just knew I didn't want to do it that way. And then I kind of ping-ponged between techniques until I found things that really felt good for me, right? Because I was learning leadership through it. And you know when it works, right? And not everything works for every person, but that's the point of a leader, right? Is to figure out how to adapt your style to the person um, and lead that unique individual. Mm -hmm. I love that. And then the last thing you said was learn through giving, and, you know, you talked about charity, other things like that. Can you expand on maybe what has been something that you did or what you learned from that and how that's applied in the business world? Because I don't think always people connect those two. And I'd love to hear that. Yep. So as a leader, as an executive, you get very focused on organizational goals, which can also tie into, I don't believe there's any necessarily bad leaders. I think there's leaders maybe focused on too much one direction sure. and they get aggressive. So for me, um, what I do is I donate a lot of time for uh, horse physical therapy. And what that is, is you have a horse and you have somebody that has maybe some pretty severe needs that come in and get therapy by either riding or exposure to that horse in some way as far as touching or petting. So for me, when I think of my experience as an executive and my day-to-day -day business, and then I go when I volunteer time and I'm just walking a horse with a little kid on their back who for the very first time was able to raise their hands up over their head in therapy, and I look at their parents tearing up on the side, you think you've had a bad day at work until you realize this person's entire life accomplishment is raising their hands over their head. Mm -hmm. And that alone, that giving, and again, find something you're passionate about, guys, but being able to give and donate my time for an experience like that, I feel sometimes a little selfish because I get so much out of giving back. Right. So it's, very, it's just important for you to be, if you're looking to be a leader, if you're looking to evolve, you've got to give back. Right. And that outside perspective provides so much fuel for you to do and focus on the right things when you do get back into the rat race, because we all do. And it takes you to such a, I, I think, a more profound place of how you operate, right? Mm -hmm. Because that perspective gives you so much insight on the bigger picture. And when you're working with leaders that have that that's insightful perspective, I find that they're just easier to deal with when things get hard, which in the work, the world that we live in, a lot of things can get hard. You deal with a lot of challenges, right? There's a reason why there's the phrase more money, more problems, and you deal with a lot of that. And so I love all three of those. So thank you for sharing those. So let's get into, um, you work in this incredible company. You deal with executives all the time. 
and you deal with business owners. You probably deal with more executives than maybe business owners. I don't know. Like, is it 50-50? It's a mix. Yeah. What, and so would you, what would you, how would you self-proclaim yourself? What is your role? Are you the fixer? Are you the solver? Are you the educator? What, what, what do you do for businesses? Um, I view it as a trusted partnership. It is somebody that is an impartial third party. We are not in the same race as the people that we're working with, typically executives and their teams. And our entire purpose is pouring impartial best practices and connecting with world-leading experts in the hopes that, and the belief, that if we pour knowledge into those executives and their teams, they're going to be more independent, they're going to be able to do tasks faster, they're going to be able to make those really important strategic decisions quicker, save time, and it also turns into a better life-work balance at the end of the day because mm-hmm. they're not taking home all this stress and concern of making these giant decisions because here my organization's already said, hey, here's the playbook. Go, here's a world-leading expert that knows the ins and outs of all of it. Let's partner with you together. Yeah. I remember a long time ago, like when you first talked to me about Gartner is like, you used to tell me that you gave leaders lives back, like you used to give them their life back, you know, because it's very easy in a business owner world or a high exec world where you lose sight of that, right? That becomes your life, you know? What would you say in that partnership? Do you find any commonalities? Is there any major areas that people are struggling with in the business world currently? Is there, I I would love to focus in on some of those if you have any commonalities. So across industries, um, commonalities are absolutely finding quality talent. What do those businesses want their culture to be when they do attract that kind of talent? And then ultimately it's a sustainability play. How fast can we go and grow How can we impact our customers in a positive way, but also in a sustainable way? So it has to be a balance of all those, but you're absolutely correct. When my team starts partnering with an organization, it's with the goal to give them their lives back. Right, because an exec that has their life can pour a much better energy, maybe not as much, but better, and then that organization can then be more successful, right? Yep. More doesn't always mean better, right? Like 80 hours a week, you might be able to be a lot more efficient with 45 hours a week mm-hmm. and you're going to be a lot happier person, right? And yeah. the, the team will benefit better from that. So you said recruiting is a big thing. What are some things that you're noticing right now? Because this is this weird, you know, we were talking about before the, the podcast started was like, we're in this post-pandemic world, r- remote work, not remote work. You know, companies are now opening up to national reach versus just their own local reach. Like, what are some things in the current environment that people are doing well to recruit? And what are maybe some areas that they're not doing well and it's probably hurting them? Yeah, so doing well, um, the ones that are being really successful at it are leading with mission or value. Especially in the new generation coming up, they care much more about how are they going to positively impact the world more than the paycheck necessarily. Sure. So leading with mission, leading with this is what you get to be a part of is actually where we're seeing organizations be really strong. On the flip side of that, really lengthy job descriptions that don't describe the actual job and don't give kind of that passion or excitement behind it, 
makes it harder to find the right fit. Again, it depends on the industry. Sure. It depends on what kind of talent and, frankly, what kind of culture you have. Everybody's a little different, but those are two of the big ones. So when it comes to some, a company's mission and values, how do companies do that right? Because I think there's a lot of people that have a mission statement that's you know on the wall, right? Or they have values that are listed on their website. But how do they differentiate that, right? Like a word that I just have such a pet peeve with, right, is transparency right now. I feel like everyone's being transparent. And I'm like, how can we be transparent without saying it, right? Can we just do it, you know, and then completely remove it? Because people know when you're transparent. Um, and I just hate that you see a lot of that in companies. And I luckily, from a very different perspective, get to partner with companies. And I'm hearing a, a words like that a lot lately. And so what do you see in the companies that are, using mission and values, what are they doing differently that's making it work so well? Really great question. And this is where, full disclosure, I'm not a world-leading expert. I don't play one on you TV. You work with one. You work with well, one. I, I, mean, I work I, with almost 3,000, but... Oh, pff, little, little number <laughs> drop there. So you see a lot of it, though. Yes. So what I would say is the organizations that are being successful tying their mission to their culture is keeping that top of mind and it being part of who they are. So, for example, very rarely do missions and culture become successful when it's the top-level group of executives that spend 48 hours building out what it looks like. A culture is built from the bottom up as well as the top down. Mm. So in organizations, you almost need to bring all those elements together to develop, okay, who are we really that we can be excited and get behind? And here's a hint. It's not a 10-page long thing. It's even not a 10-bullet point thing. It should be very concise that somebody could rattle off and then describe why are they excited about it. If you have employees that are excited about, here's our mission and here's what I get to do as part of that, you're winning. Right. I love that. Yeah. I mean, one sentence, three or four tops. That's that's exactly it. You know, and that's we definitely have very lengthy both, but we have the like this is the cliff note version, mm-hmm. right? Right here. And that's basically where we go to in most. So I love that. What's Gartner's mission and vision? Our entire mission is to pour best practices into organizations so those organizations can do, go and do great things. And that's part of our vision, why we've gathered 3,000 world-leading experts together, is behind that entire idea. And that's who we are. We're the world's leading research and advisory firm for any industry and company you can imagine. And how long has Gartner been around? Uh, 1974. Um, and so we're going on 50 years. Yeah. So we're a um, global organization and... Part, uh, top 5% of the global 500. Right. And how many employees? Oh. Just for frame? I mean, it's huge. I know it's, that. It, I couldn't even guess. We're global. Yeah. Like like 100,000? Like, I mean, 50,000? Um, well, we are a $4 billion company. Right. So. Huge. Huge. That's so exciting. And you oversee Hawaii, Alaska, and Guam and Taipei, right? Saipan. Saipan. Mm-hmm. I apologize. And so 
what what kind of companies do you see? I'm sure you see lots, but right now, what companies are winning? What what industries? What niches that are you see that you're partnering with that are really putting this education, this knowledge, this learning first? Is there any sort of like categories? So across industries, what I can say is it it gets down to the people who are embracing technology. Again, Gartner, that's our expertise is within any kind of business that leverages technology. That's where our expertise lies. Mm. So if you are a gravel company and you just want to move one pile to another, we can't help you. Right. Um, but what I will say to answer your question is it's more about the executive team and the leadership having a clear vision, knowing where they are today, what their vision is, and being able to enable their team, i.e. giving them the right tools to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, here's some fun statistics because I am from Gartner. The top two reasons people leave organizations. What would you guess? The first one being? Um, being valued, I think, would probably be something along that road. Since someone doesn't feel valued at the company. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't feel like they have a voice. They don't feel like they have an opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think opportunity, I think, would be that one other one. Mm-hmm. Is they, they want to grow. They want to have a succession plan. And they just don't see it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so they probably go somewhere that makes them feel better in those areas. Sure. And that's actually really good guesses. Most people say money. Right. Um, the top two reasons people actually leave organizations, you got one of them, is there isn't a growth path for them to continue to develop. The organization's not pouring into them right. and continuing to invest in them. Number one. The number one top reason people leave is their direct relationship with their manager, whoever mm. their direct supervisor is, that partnership relationship there. Interesting. So organizations who want to be successful and really move ahead of their com- competition need to take a double look at how are we investing in our managers, mm-hmm. in our leaders, and how are we fattening our bench so that there's also upward momentum for the next generation coming up. Right. Because we got it. I don't know if... We were shopping with Gartner for a while, but we just couldn't do it because we wanted more than one person to be able to do it where we were at. And I know that we'll get there at some point, but we got a coach. We got a business coach. Like us as the leaders of the company have a business coach. That was amazing. And then we leveraged through her to get a coach for our, our mid-level management. Mm-hmm. Holy moly. Like, yep. And I loved it, right? Because the different voice created a different choice. We might be great leaders and we might say all the right things, but only it does it make a difference to have someone else say those same things, get that outside perspective, get that feedback loop from that coach to the leaders. And ugh, I loved it. Like an easy investment. So I love that you said that because I know that that's, it's a, coaching is not you know easy, right? To do that or in seminars, those types of things. But that's awesome to hear that. So I love that. So coaching for your leaders, right? Or some sort of level to be able to help them grow outside of you. And two is having an exact plan of what their next steps are. Yeah. I love that. That's really good. So in the technology, you said tech, right? And so in my space, I hear a lot about this. So where, where are you on this AI space and the craziness that's going on with there? Like what are like the organizations you're talking to? What are some of the common threads and conversations that are coming up in this space? Because I know that probably half my audience is super in tune to this and the other half they're like, wait, what, what's chat GPT? So like, sorry for the other half that don't know it, but I really, <laughs> this is a fascinating conversation for me. 
So AI is absolutely a kind of that force multiplier. It's going to keep getting better and better and more advanced. Um, for those of you who are not necessarily into AI yet, for example, if you ever have that experience where you have to call your cell phone company, your TV company, and wait on hold, and then you get somebody, could be locally or could be in another country, and you have this whole experience, um, similar to you know going to the DMV, that we all love it. Now, if you think of that last experience that you've had, here's how AI comes into it. You have that same experience, let's say now, and they put you online right away. You don't have to sit on hold for 45 minutes and you have a lovely conversation. They ask you about your dog or your local sports team or whatever, in addition to helping you with your problem and you hang up. Now, before they hang up, there's probably a little canned thing that says, by the way, you were just supported by AI. Mm -hmm. The technology is catching up. We're not that seamless yet, but it's getting close. Is And I know that there are conversations at the Congress level, federal government, on at what point does AI need to tell a real human, hey, this is AI before they're getting served. Mm -hmm. Because it's going to get to a point where that voice quality or that service quality is so seamless, you would never know it was a computer. Right. What percent do you think of companies, businesses are using AI right now at moderately effective level? I wouldn't even venture the guess because it's evolving so quick. I know that a lot of organizations are digging into it, but it's also about data quality. So a lot of organizations aspirationally want to use AI to save their organization time, to come up with better business decisions faster, mitigate risk, et cetera. In the root of that, though, there also needs to be a harder look into the quality of data in your organization, how it's organized, because AI is good, but it's that old saying, you know, garbage in, garbage out. Right, because it's only as good as the information you give it. Right? Yep. So, so if you give it bad data or bad information, you're going to get bad results. Right, so organizations who really want to embrace that AI need to also take a really hard look at their data lakes and data warehouses and data and analytics teams and make sure that the information coming into the organization as well as being used across the organization is cleaner. And that's an evolutionary process on its own. You do you have any recommendations for business owners or managers or leaders to maybe if that they haven't started playing with it yet that you recommend that they go check out XYZ or go, you know, try to get organized with, you know, some platform? It would really depend on the business. What I would say is um, be really thoughtful about how you're searching because a lot of the different plugins and things that you're going to find or even some of the pages, I've been lied to by Google too many times, but some of the pages you might be searching for, is there a vendor on the back end feeding that information? Right. They're open source, and whatever you put in, they're sharing it with a lot of places. Yep. Yep. Totally. Yeah. So just finding out if it's open source or closed source. Yeah. Just be careful where you're finding If you're looking to make a big business investment, find a trusted partner who, again, find an impartial third party. 
and get guidance. Um, sometimes it's not about, oh, hey, I know so-and-so from across, you know, two buildings down who faced it. Get their opinion too, but just find somebody that's truly more of that impartial player. Mm -hmm. Do you think or do you know of any organizations using AI really well right now to be more, or, like you're saying, be more organized? To, like, do you know of any techniques that are working for some industries? Um, there absolutely are. I think for the AI, again, it's about quality of data. It's also about what do you want the AI to do? Defining mm -hmm. it. So saying, okay, I want AI. That's great. It's also like saying, hey, I want to move to the cloud. Well, why? What are you hoping to achieve? So my advice to businesses would be, yeah, AI is that cool buzz term right now. Chat GPT is a really good example of it. Um, just be really thoughtful about what are you looking for the AI to do? If it's saving time, that's great. If there's a proven vendor that you know that can help you with whatever that challenge is that will help you save time, fantastic. But just be really informed and do your homework ahead of time because there's a lot of, as AI evolves, there's also a lot of organizations selling AI who are also learning at the same time. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone's learning. And I think it's really important for everyone to know that everyone's learning. Yep. The thing that I recommend, because we live in a, a world where we use it a lot already, mm -hmm. we don't sell AI in any way. We do not We do not produce content in AI in any way, but we use it for it to be much more effective, much more organized, to, to get to conclusions a lot faster. But we luckily are a very highly analytically driven company that has a lot of information to go off of, which has allowed that to be the case. But the thing that I recommend is people just to start asking questions. Like even if it's a chat GPT, like what type of business are you in? Okay, I'm a property manager at this and how do I get, how do I use AI to be more organized? Start even going from there, like asking it questions because what I found to be most beneficial for my ADD brain was is the, once you have ideas, at least if you're me, it can get you on the right path a lot quicker. And it's amazing how many ideas come out of something like that. And so just even using it to even get your own thought going is always an encouraging place that I try to push people to, just to go play with it because it's not going anywhere. And this is like, I would say AI is probably as transformative as the internet, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Like when the internet came out, people didn't know what it is. People, I, so I, I feel like it's that big, but I don't know. I think time will tell. It, it's going to continue to evolve and get bigger. Yeah, absolutely. Like the internet, like cloud, there's going to be now an AI component to it too, which is going to be really fun. I, I, I totally agree. And I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna bridge a gap for many things. You know, someone I talked about. It was uh, an old mentor of mine. I think you might know her, Pam Lloyd from GCI. Mm -hmm. And she talked about this huge gap in, you know, the boomers, the retirement of boomers, Gen X or the next. And there's this huge employment gap right there. And we had this really fun conversation about how AI could be one of the best ways to fill that gap, based on you know how much it can provide support in areas that. We might not have enough bodies to support that area because things will change through technology. It was a very interesting conversation. So if you haven't listened to that episode, you can go back. It's a couple of back. But um, something else I wanted to talk about, and I just I'm so impressed upon it, how well you do it. Is Gartner is a company that goes and brings and talks to other businesses, 
and sells them on this idea of partnership through, you know, knowledge, education, learning to be the most informed. And you guys do such a great job at building relationships with businesses and then converting those businesses into partnerships. Mm -hmm. What are some of the tools or successes that you've learned through your experience? Is it through Gartner? that's allowed that to be so successful? Because obviously I'm a relationship person, I'm a salesperson, and I would love to know how you guys do it or what are some philosophies that you do in your team? Sure. Um, really great question. So you're right. It's about the relationship. It's about slowing down and caring about what that organization's doing and what that success means to the executive and their teams. So first and foremost, digging in and understanding the organization and then being able to bring tools back about, well, all of your peers nationally or globally have faced a very similar struggle. This is how they overcame it. And oh, by the way, here's a template, toolkit, and experts to help you if you want to dig deeper. So I think the right tools at the right time is important. Relevance is always going to be king. Timing's always going to be queen. So being Again, relevant is important. Also being really honest. The There's things that organizations are going to face that, you know, maybe there isn't a technology fix for. Mm -hmm. For example, culture change. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of best practice and guidance on culture change. That is an 18-month or more journey that has to get buy-in from the executive level. And also it's a bottom up, not just a top down. So getting buy-in from all the different levels of the organization to move culture forward is huge. Mm -hmm. um, but to get back to your question on what we do and how, it's truly you know, wanting to build a partnership with people who are open to saying, you know what, maybe there's a different way. And we're famous for respectfully challenging organizations on, hey, we see you're going down this road respectfully challenging that and saying, what if there could be a different way that would save you time and mitigate your risk? Mm -hmm. Let's have a conversation. And it's all about having good conversations. Um, for those of you who want to learn more on this skill, I would really encourage you to watch. It's an old show. It's called Columbo, Through the Eyes of a Salesperson. Because that guy... 95% of his entire dialogue is questions with some stories. Mm -hmm. And the people that are doing, as far as a partnership correctly, are going to ask a lot of really good questions, like Columbo, and there might be some relevant stories on how other organizations have seen the same thing and been successful. Yeah. I'm so glad you recapped that because I literally, when you said in the beginning, that was like all you said is really good questions and then tell really good stories, right? Is what came out of that. How do you work on the art of asking questions? Because I really think that's an art, right? And that's a very strong communication style is being able to ask questions. So what are some things that you've learned through the time of, because you know when there's a good question, right? Or a lining of questions and you just like, you see it, like you see the apple in the eye of someone and it connects, right? Mm -hmm. What are, what are some things that you've learned through asking questions or some techniques that you've learned through that? Sure. So again, get back to that lifelong learner. There's a ton of research. There's a ton of tools to go and figure out asking better questions, decision treeing, conversations, et cetera. There's a lot of resources out there. 
that you can go and look for. Um, I think role playing is also really important if this is a new skill that you're trying to develop. Mm -hmm. You can also play games. So if you are, you know, you can play with your family on this one. Try and spend an hour with just asking questions. Mm, love it. And I would also do some reflecting on in a conversation with an executive or whoever you're with, how often are you asking a question versus standing on a soapbox and maybe making statements? It's so good. Yeah, I mean, uh, my staff laugh at me now, but I don't think I ever answer a question. They ask me a question, and the first thing that I'm doing is <laughs> asking more questions because I need more information before I can answer, right? You know, they'll come to me with a problem or something like that, and you just ask questions. Mm -hmm. And I love that game, right? Having a game where you're challenging yourself to ask questions and ask questions. Something else that I've always recommended people, I'm wondering your thought is, is like using framing, right? I think really good questions, especially aligning of questions, is if you use the last few phrases or the last sentence and you turn that into a question to dig deeper, you tend to get to the, like, the root of a lot of things. Mm -hmm. If you're able to go through that framing of a question, that's always something that I've found I've done. I don't know if you're familiar with that technique. Yeah, absolutely. I've done that and it <laughs> works great. Um, another game you can play within framing too is if for those of you who have little kids, it's the why game. Mm -hmm. Why? Why? Mm -hmm. Why? And I have to say, I love that from personal training for me, right? Because you want to lose weight. Why? I want, I mean, because I want to. Okay, well, that's that doesn't matter. That's not motivating. Mm -hmm. Why? And, you know, it ends up being because, you know, they're going on this vacation and there's horseback riding. They have to be below a certain weight. Okay, we can grab a hold of that, right? And the same thing is true for business, yep. right? So I love that. So that deep, go deeper, go deeper. Never, never take the answer at the surface yep. either is this an important thing. So like, hey, we want to incorporate AI. We want to move to the cloud. Why? Because we read something online that says that's what everybody's doing. But why? Right. So I think this is a good lesson for any executive or any leader is if you don't have a good route as to how this is going to drive your business to either grow revenue, you know, operational cost reduction, improve your margins, what have you, maybe it's a time to relook at what your overarching strategy is, then pick the tools that help support that. Mm -hmm. I love it. So that nails the first part of what you said, but the second part was storytelling. And that's that's an art in itself too. Mm -hmm. So what are some things that you suggest to people to become better storytellers? Um, pick the people you admire that are really dynamic and ask yourself, why are they dynamic? You will often find that they have a story component with how they communicate. Mm -hmm. Additionally, we have been in our society raised around story from times we're just tiny. Executives, here's a hint, um, like their stories backwards. Executives like their stories with they lived happily ever after. Now let me tell you the story. You have to know your audience. Mm -hmm. If you're working with somebody outside the executive realm, they typically like, especially engineers or people that are very technically minded, typically like once upon a time, telling the story, they all lived happily ever after. Just know your audience, but also go and check out 
people that you really like how they, you know, communicate and their flow and what makes that up and try it on for size. Right. I'm going to quote something that I read just recently, actually, on stories. And I don't know, remember the title of the book. I remember it's The Power of the Story. Don't remember who wrote it. And two, I don't remember the person that did it. But he did a, this is a very cool thing to share how powerful a story is. He went and bought 200 unique pieces of items at a thrift store. And this was back in like the early 2000s. And he posted 100 of those very basic items on eBay with like the most plain thing, like candlestick, that sort of thing. And then the other hundred, he wrote unique stories for each one. This was a candlestick that sat on, you know, the the fireplace of this thing and we loved it so much and it was one of our favorite. And he just told a story to each item, both being completely basic items. And I think the exact numeric that he sold it for is like the items that he sold on the left sold for X, the one sold for Y. And it was like 800% more were the items that had a story connected to them versus the basic example candlestick. It was insane. And that is a power of a story. And I so, love that. right? Yeah, it's super true. And so, understanding there's a story arc. And you have to be able to know there's different story arcs depending on the different style of person. Mm -hmm. So that, guys, I guess goes into a question I would love to know is, is how do you adjust your style per the different executives, right? There's super like direct executives, type eight personalities, and there's other people that are way more relational. How do you, how do you take a gauge on a person to be able to know how to adjust your style? Uh, experience. You don't get to be, get really good at, at anything just right out of the gate typically it usually it's a couple rounds in the octagon mm -hmm. before you're confident right. I would say that's also the power of asking questions because it allows you to also gauge the style and and know the audience that's why you probably don't re really lead with a story it's more understanding your audience and then having a relevant story with that. Um, a book that I can recommend, can't remember the author's name offhand, is called Backable. It is all about story. Mm. It is the idea of what makes organizations that are startups be backable or not. Mm. And I don't want to spoil it for all of you, but here's a hint. It's also all about the art of storytelling and how, and the author, I loved it because he actually broke down which ones were successful in being backed and which ones weren't. And there's an actual formula that he has in the book of the art of storytelling. So that's another one to read. Backable. I love it. I, mm, I love me a book, you know, so that's awesome. Well, I mean, the last couple of things that I always want to end with is, you know, what was you know, for you, what's a favorite pace or one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever been given and that you still use to this day? I think um, one of the best pieces of, of advice that I've stuck to pretty much my whole professional career and was given early on, um, I'm really lucky, was at the end of the day, regardless of the pressure, regardless of the challenge ahead of you, 
you still have to go home with you. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to, and we're all going to face, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you're all going to face a challenge. You're all going to face some kind of pressure, some kind of situation where you're forced to have that moment of integrity. And one of my favorite sayings is integrity is doing the right thing when no one's looking. You're always going to be with you. So making that hard call, even if it's not a popular one, is the advice I would give. I love that. Yeah, I I love saying it's never the wrong thing to do the right thing. Yep. And I feel like sometimes in that integrity play, you know, you know what the right thing is to do, but for some reason you have this story in your mind that's trying to make it not the right thing to do or it's a bad decision to do. And I try to poke myself in those type of situations to say, it's, you know, and I just try to make it simple because if we, if we make it too complicated, we can almost talk ourselves out of yep. doing the right thing, you know? So is there a piece of advice that you hear often in this, you know, social media, quick 30 second world that we live in or executives that you talk to that you guard people from? They're like, ah, you know, like, you know, like. I, like the one phrase is the like you know I have always enjoyed is like the jack of all trades is a master of none but a master of one oh, what's the rest of it goes it's a master of one there's more to that saying right so a lot of people use the jack of all trades is a bad thing but it is good to be well balanced mm-hmm. in it is the whole actual point of that story but a lot of people use it for the misconception like well if you do everything you can't do you can't be good at one thing and I'm like okay I, I mean I, I see fair points to both and I, so I always like balancing that out so if you have a great piece of advice what's another piece of advice that you've heard that maybe you guard people from a little bit more? Um, what I would recommend as far as guarding people from or maybe just being self-aware is the balance between listening and the commentary. What is your balance on any given day? How often are you listening to those around you versus how often are you the one leading the commentary And the reason that I think that that's kind of one to guard on and be cautious about, it's not a phrase, it's not something you would say, it's more about your balance of attention and, again, developing your bench, giving confidence to those around you, whether they're managers that are working their way up or teams, and helping them, enabling them to solve for themselves instead of being very quick with that answer is going to be better for your business in the long run. So I think my answer would be just really guarding yourself on what balance you have of giving that immediate advice, knee jerk of go do this. Right. And is that, while it's probably the right answer, is that really teaching your team long-term skills to someday be able to solve for themselves? That I love love that piece of advice. It has to be probably one of the most common things that I teach new leaders. And I've always used the term give space, right? Like uh, in this current world, especially a remote world, I intentionally do not respond right away. Because what I have found, an example, we had this with an employee earlier, we have a new leader working over a couple new people. She messaged me, asked me a question on how to direct through this certain conflict. And I've always gave myself 30 minutes, especially with a new leader. More seasoned leaders, I might wait four hours, right? You know, but I give intentional time. I know 
they're not going to die. I know the world's not going to end, right? And I give that time. And what ends up happening almost always, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, is you'll get a message in like 20 minutes or 15 minutes, never mind, take care of it. Or no, I actually got it. And maybe even what they did wasn't the answer of what you would have done, or maybe even as good is what you would have done. But what you intentionally built in them is this ability for that they could do it themselves. Mm-hmm. And they learn, being a constant learner, and they get empowered versus you doing it and giving the answer. You now create a crutch yep. that you're going to be you know, continually relied on. And I actually read it in a book that was recently read by Warren Buffett, and it was a really good one. And I haven't always been very, really motivated by Warren Buffett, but this was a quote I really liked. And he said, he said, a lot of business owners and leaders go get dogs and then do the barking for them. <laughs> and it just resonated so true with me, right? It's like, okay. we go get employees and then we do the work for them. Mm-hmm. You Is, hire really smart people. And let them go do it. And, you should, yeah. And and I think a lot of people, especially newer managers or unseasoned managers, would look at that maybe being lazy or not as hardworking. But it's like, no, we are really only typically good at a really good at a couple things. So why not get other people that are really good at those things and surround yourself with that talent, and then lead a much bigger group versus then be the jack of all trades and be able to do that all for all people. Mm-hmm. And I'm really at that executive level of coaching as you're developing your managers, a fun question you can put in your arsenal is asking them, hey, why do you believe that, you know, you were hired for the role you're in? And then why did you hire these people? And what that forces is a realization of you didn't hire them to do the other people's work for them. You hired them for something else, but also that realization of, oh, I'm doing three other people's jobs and not even focusing on my strategic job. Mm -hmm. And leaders need to understand that there's working in the business and there's working on the business. And I think a lot of, especially smaller businesses or growing businesses, they get so stuck working in the business that they lose or forget that they, they need to focus on working on the business. And that's why you have to let other people do the work around you. Because, I mean, the captain or the ship needs a captain, right? And they got, they got to see the down thing. And some people people are you know stuck on the deck and they can't see that far ahead. Yep. I love it. Well, is there anything else that you want to share with this business, this sales, this relationship, this recruiting, this culture uh, conversation that we had here today coming from a person that works with 3,000 world-leading experts around this space? Yeah, so the if you leave with nothing else today, just give yourself some grace and take one thing, one thing mm-hmm. from this and work on it. Don't overwhelm yourselves. And again, with 3,000 world-leading experts who are the best in the world at what they do, it's easy to get overwhelmed But the best advice I can give you is take one piece and work on it for a week. Maybe it's two weeks. But don't overwhelm yourself because that almost puts you back too many steps because it'll freeze you. Mm -hmm. So know your limits. And if you take nothing else away, the only homework I'm giving you is pick one thing 
to then work on. I love that so much. And you recommend like a week to like yeah. make that the focus. Yep. Okay. And so even if you have 50 things that you took from this, every single time, just take one thing and focus on it for a week. Right. I love that so much. Okay. Anything else? I don't know. That was really good, but I mean. Honestly, that's it. That's everybody's homework. I love it. I love it. Well, Amanda, I, I can't tell you how grateful I am that you came on and shared in this insight from your amazing expertise and amazing company that you get to do this for on a regular. A lot of people pay a lot for a lot of what we talked about today. And so the fact that we can do this for free and you did this so graciously to come on our podcast, I, I just can't thank you enough. Yeah, no, my pleasure and happy to help. Yeah, awesome. Well, we will talk to you again soon. Okay, thanks.